0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, July the 6th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1535, Sir Thomas More was beheaded in England. He refused to swear allegiance to King Henry VIII as head of the church. More said, no, Jesus Christ, his head of the church, cost him his life. Sometimes taking a stand costs a lot. Sometimes it costs everything in this life. Today, on July 6, 1942, Anne Frank, we hear a lot about her. She made a great impact. Her parents, her sister, they entered into this secret annex. It was actually a warehouse in Amsterdam. They were later joined by four other people. They hid out these these two families for two years before the Nazis discovered them and arrested them and took them away. As you know, Anne Frank wrote a diary, later discovered and published. Today in 1854, the Republican Party organized at a meeting in Jackson, Michigan. Today in 18... I think they need to have a reorganization sometimes, but they're far better than any of the alternatives, I can tell you. Today in 1885, in my opinion, French scientists, today in 1885, French scientists, Louis Pasteur, he tested an anti-rabies vaccine on a nine-year-old kid. He'd been bitten by an infected dog. The boy didn't develop rabies. Today, in 1945, President Harry S. Truman signed an executive order establishing the Medal of Freedom. And today, in 1971, jazz trumpeter and singer Louis Armstrong, he died in New York. He was 69 years old. I still like to listen to Louis Armstrong play his trumpet and sing. How do you define the way he sings? Nobody has ever sounded like him before. But I don't know. It just kind of brings back some good memories to me. Anyway, he died today. He was 69 years old, 1971. Today, in 1997, the rover Sojourner rolled down a ramp from the Mars Pathfinder, rolled onto the Martian landscape to begin inspecting the soil and the rocks of the Red Planet to see if There was any possibility of life or had been life previously. And today, former President George W. Bush, it's his birthday. He's 74 years old. Happy birthday, Mr. Bush. I'm sure it will be. I hope you had a great weekend over this past weekend. Fourth of July was Saturday. This past Fourth of July revealed, however, that we are a country at war with ourselves, a war within. Abraham Lincoln once said, If we are ever to be brought down, it will not be from some distant enemy, it will be from within. I think people are beginning to wonder exactly where this is going. Many of us lived through the Vietnam War era. We remember the burning and the, all of the desecration and all of that, the flag. We remember John Kerry who wanted to be president so badly in later years, how John Kerry took his medals that he had been awarded while in the military, threw them over the fence, desecrated those. We remember all that, but somehow this doesn't exactly square up with that. That was about a war. That was about a government that didn't do it correctly and shouldn't have done it at all and all of that. This is about America itself. And that is the great divide today—not just about policy, or about decisions being made by the government. It certainly includes that, but this, this is about America itself as a nation, and that makes all that's going on around here quite different. I think, I think as we look at these, what came to my mind as I looked at this weekend—we had a great weekend. We, Marjorie and I, had some burgers and. We had the flag up and all of the stuff. I hope you did too. But as I thought about this 4th of July, I saw people mocking the U.S. flag, desecrating it, walking on it, all over the country. I'll touch on that, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But it's happening, and we need to be aware. I remembered what Charles Dickens had written, about the best of times and the worst of times. I think that might be such a time as this. He was talking about the French Revolution, and his novel was set in the French Revolution, but this has many of the same characteristics. It's a rebellious group of people, a mob, out of control, many of whom don't even know what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just caught up in the moment. But it is the best of times. Millions, tens of millions of people across America thanked God for the greatest nation that's ever been birthed out of human wisdom and insight. It could be said, it could be said, that this Independence Day is the best of times and it is the worst of times. President Trump, he announced this Independence Day weekend, both on the 3rd at Mount Rushmore and on the 4th at the Salute America event in Washington, D.C., he announced that he signed an executive order that will lead to up to 10 years in prison for destroying America's statutes and and, uh, monuments. It is, however, the worst of times. Christopher Columbus was dragged, dragged off a pedestal, big statue of him, dragged off the pedestal and Baltimore's Little Italy, <laughs> probably not by Italians. He was dragged down the street and thrown, thrown into the harbor on the 4th of July. New York City, the U.S. flag was burned in front of Trump Tower while thousands of people crowded around and cheered them on. In Portland and Seattle, protesters in Seattle took to I-5. Some guy ran into them, killed one. Portland burning, breaking, all across the nation, but particularly here in the Northwest. Terrorists are continuing to march and scream and break and burn things to vent anger while displaying ignorance on in many respects. Many in these crowds, as I said, don't even know what they're doing. They're just following the crowd. They're going along with it. They're just angry. They don't even know whom they're at. They hate Trump. They hate America. They hate bananas, they hate ice cream, whatever, it doesn't matter. In Washington, D.C., in front of the White House, activists were seen stomping and dancing on the U.S. flag, encouraging other protesters to join in the desecration of the flag. On video, I wrote an article about this today, it's at faithandfreedom.us. On the video, you can hear them shouting, This flag has hurt so many of us, so come step on the flag. One person is yelling out, get this dirty. That's what this flag is. It's dirty. It represents filth and greed and grime. How many parents who given their children to war to defend this country would feel that way? And what an affront to the truth regarding this nation. The flag is a lot of things, but it's not dirty and it's not filthy and it's not representative of greed greed and crime but only in the minds of those who are demented who have been indoctrinated for generations now in what we call public education which isn't education at all anymore it is indoctrination joe biden is hiding in the basement of his home under the pretense of self isolation doing a few carefully scripted press conferences he's been given a bunch of nothing questions i put myself i made myself watch one of his little episodes, I think it was over the weekend, might have been Friday, I'm not sure, but in the last few days. And the press was there, and they were acting real, you know, press-like, and they were asking these questions very articulately. Mr. Biden, how do you feel, you know, and going through this stuff? And they were just nothing questions. And all of a sudden, Joe Biden got confused. And he he looked around and he goes uh 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 where is where is the question from CBS they haven't asked it yet clearly they had given him the questions before they asked the questions it's a charade it's just all a charade it's all about destroying the presidency of Donald Trump Biden's answers were highly edited they usually don't let you see anymore the fact that he's having a very difficult time. There is no question in my mind and in the mind of others, and I don't say this with any animosity. In fact, I feel sorry for him, except there's so much at stake. But man, he's got a problem. I mean, dementia has built a nest on his head. His answers are edited. They're carefully taken care He can't string two or three sentences together. But he's currently leading Donald Trump in most all polls, including the real clear polling averages, some cases up to 10 points. Most observers are convinced it's not likely that Biden would ever even be able to complete one term because of his memory issues. They're severe and they're consistent. It isn't like he had a bad day, had a headache, didn't get any sleep, whatever. It's ongoing. It's every time. This, of course, sets the stage for his vice presidential choice to become president should he be unable to function in his first term, should he win. It is said that Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Susan Rice are at the top of his choices, all of whom or a zero as far as I'm concerned, as far as leading this country. Susan Rice is a habitual liar. She lied to the press about so many things. We'll talk about that more as we go forward, particularly if he chooses her as his running mate. She hates Trump. Over the 4th of July, she was just railing on Trump. And of course, the media breathlessly follow her around to report, broadcast, whatever she says. I'll tell you, Biden said he would know by July, a couple of months ago, who his running mate was going to be. Then the other day, his campaign said, no, we're we're not going to let him tell you till August. So now they're saying August 1st. But who, whomever it is, it'll be a woman. He said it would be black, he said, in the first place. Then he said, well, maybe not. And Elizabeth Warren is in the court. Of course, she's of Indian descent, as you know. I mean, she's not really, but she identifies as indian therefore she is that got her a job at you know harvard and various things so we've got a real mix going on here but you know these these are the best of times and i want to talk to you a little bit about that today i mentioned charles dickens i like to read i like charles dickens of course and we become reacquainted with him every christmas christmas carol and other things but he wrote in his novel in the part of it that's titled A Tale of Two Cities. He sets a story in cities of London and Paris during the French Revolution. He begins with often quoted words. I mean, you've heard these words before. I've quoted them. I'm sure you've heard them. Perhaps you can quote them from memory. But he started with this. He said, It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, Dickens writes, the period was so far like the present period. With *A tale of two cities... Dickens says, and there's a lot of pages there. We, I won't put you through any more of it, but if you don't like literature, but Dickens asserts in this novel that his belief is supernatural because he believes in resurrection and renewal, both on a personal level and on a societal level. And if you read through that tale of two cities, you find that to be the thread that runs through the novel. The deep divide in our country today continues to be affirmed in the streets of our cities. We're seeing it. We're seeing it here in the Northwest. We're seeing it across the country. We're seeing it in the halls of government, and we're seeing it even in the pulpits of Christian churches. Our nation, our communities, even our families are divided over the issues that face us today. Our churches are divided, with some standing for biblical justice through righteousness, while others are bowing, Literally bowing to the demands of an unrighteous, non-biblical social justice gospel, as presented by Jim Wallace and some of his followers, it replaces the Great Commission with a virtue-signaling measurement of how compassionate you really are. And I've got news for these people. And I'm nobody except I have an opinion. And it's an opinion that's been shaped over years of my life in ministry. And I want to tell you something, Christianity is not about you, it's about Jesus Christ. And it doesn't really matter how much compassion you have as a first check-off on the list. What really matters is who is Jesus Christ to you. And that seems to be lost with the social movement, so, uh, social justice movement. And that's the problem with these people. And I see evangelicals meeting now and analyzing and do- dialoguing, had a big dialogue of evangelicals in Seattle over the weekend. How are we going to solve this justice problem? Uh, May I speak? How about all of us turning our attention on the person of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who came to earth and gave himself on a cross for our sins? Let's start with that. Our nation, our communities... Even our families are divided over the issues that face us. Our churches are divided. In addition, a virus from China, as Trump likes to remind us, has shut the world down, shut our personal lives. We're we're struggling to get back. Everything has changed. In a matter of days, everything was disrupted. It just was. Can't deny it because everybody's been touched by it on this globe in some way or another, most to a great extent. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. Can any good come from this? Yes, it can. To quote Dickens, resurrection and renewal. They're the hallmarks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When things When things that can be shaken have been shaken, those things that cannot be shaken will become more dominant. They will become more clear, more pronounced. They'll be stronger than ever. There are some things that it doesn't matter how much black lives matter or white lives don't matter or whatever or how much dialogue the church has. There are some things that aren't going to be changed by people running the streets, burning, stamping on flags, and all of that. It is the Word of God, the truth. And it will stand. And when everything has been shaken, and the foundations have crumbled in many cases, we will see what's standing. And what will be standing will be the truth of Almighty God. And will be those who have embraced that truth and built their lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, not on the shifting sands of men's thinking, enlightenment, progressivism. i got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, and I'm going to tell you why. But I will tell you, in my spirit, I know there's more shaking coming. God is doing something unusual in this country, in the lives of Christians in our country. He's sifting, he's shaking, he's defining, he's calling. It's happening. It's coming. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see catastrophes. This is not going to be a time for moderates in politics or in Christianity. You're either with it or you're not. You're either walking with Christ, taught this in so many times in his ministry. He didn't leave room for being lukewarm. In fact, he said, lukewarm will be spewing out of the mouth. Jesus Christ called people to make decisions, to make a stand. Who are you? What do you really believe? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's who I want to be. That's where I want to stand. Because all of these things that we can support ourselves with, the little crutches and everything that we use in life, they're all being shaken. They're all being shut down. They're being shipped away. And as if nature, through this virus, would not need help, a lot of these progressive liberals are tearing down what the virus isn't tearing down. But I believe there's more shaking. I don't want it to be, but I believe that there is. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians. It's filled with expressions of joy. You say, well, Paul was a joyful guy. He was really a good Christian. Yeah, he was. But 16 times in just four chapters, Paul uses the word in Philippians like rejoice or joy to describe his state of mind or his general attitude. Interestingly, he wrote this letter in very dark, troubling circumstances. He was under house arrest in Rome. He was chained. They would chain him to a different Roman soldier every few hours. They didn't even want him to be able to develop a relationship, much less influence them. That's how much power this little man had, because the power of God used him and spoke through him. Just like God can use you and me. Nothing, really. But Paul... Impacted the world. And we're talking about him and reading what he wrote today because God inspired it. God can use you, too, and me, in our little world, whatever it is. But he wrote about rejoicing and being joyful and filled with joy. And, oh, my heart is filled with joy. Sixteen times in just four chapters. While he was chained to a different Roman soldier every few hours because they didn't want him to influence them. This on top of the fact that he had spent three years previously in prison in Caesarea. So by the time he wrote the letter of Philippians, and maybe if you have time today, just open your Bible and just read that as a letter. And read about all the joy and everything, but in the back of your mind, keep in mind where he was when he wrote that. By the time he wrote that letter, he had been in prison at least five, maybe six years. The is against him? Preaching the gospel. They said, Don't do that, you'll be free if you'll stop preaching. He wasn't free much, because he never stopped preaching until they killed him. But instead of allowing his circumstances to to drive him into despair, he experienced deep joy and he pleaded with the Philippians to experience it as well. He said he said, This joy is 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 unexplainable. How is that possible? Let me give you a 45-minute Bible study in two seconds, two sentences. Number one, here's how it's possible. Number one, this is a Bible study on Philippians, but I'm going to give you two lines. Some of you listening to this program, I know some of you attended the church I pastored for a number of years. You're probably wishing I would have given some Bible studies in a couple of lines back then instead of going on for an hour and a half. Well, anyway, number one, unshakable joy is rooted in Christ and what he has done for you, not what someone else may or may not be doing. Focus on Jesus Christ. Be aware. That's what this program is about, to make you aware and be informed so that we know what's going on in our culture. God does not want us to be uninformed and ignorant. That's not what he's called us to be and do. But keep focused on Christ. And what other people are doing ultimately are not the final consequence. God is the final consequence. And number two, unshakable joy is rooted in the progress of spreading the gospel. Forget about yourself and how compassionate you may or may not be. Compassion is a wonderful thing. It's a virtue, but it's not the center point of the gospel. Compassion is a byproduct. It's a virtue of having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Your sins have been forgiven. You're a new creature in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what you are. And that's what the gospel does. And that is the point of the gospel. And one of the virtues by being redeemed is to be compassionate. But good grief, the gospel isn't about you and how much compassion you have. But that's what the religious left is doing. And they feel good about themselves. The more they kneel on their knees to whatever it is, black black lives, flags, whatever, any left-wing cause, it doesn't matter what it is. They feel good about themselves. They feel religious and righteous. But none of us are righteous. Only Jesus Christ And we are nothing except what we are in Christ. And until we tell the world that message, we have not done what Christ told us to do. And he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Sorry about that. I get pretty emotional. Thinking back to 2016, things looked pretty dire for Donald Trump. Almost four years ago now, right up to election day, there was no way he was going to win that election. Remember that? In fact, one of my favorite guys on Fox, and there are a number of people on Fox anymore that are not my favorites, but one of my favorite guys on there, i love to see him, Victor David Hansen. He said, um, in fact, he wrote it in a book, The Case for Trump. He's an intellectual. He's very, just terrific, smart. He notes in his book, actually, respected polls such as the Princeton Election Consortium on election eve put Trump's... Chances of victory at one percent. In the last twenty-four hours of the campaign, the New York Times, tracking various pollsters' models, concluded to its reassure to reassure its readers that Trump's chances of winning in such surveys were respectively fifteen percent, eight percent, two percent, and less than one percent. You can recall the looks on the people at CNN and all across the media spectrum when Donald Trump beat the inevitable Hillary Clinton to become president of the United States. There was no explanation for that, except that God chose, and I know this is controversial, somebody's going to get all upset, well, just get over it, because that's what I think. God sovereignly ordered that election, because God doesn't like stand back and say, well, just passively, whatever will be, will be. That's not the God whom we serve, who created the universe. God is the God of all things. And I believe that he put Trump where he is for God's purposes. Not only has he been attacked incessantly now, but he was then. Nobody thought he could win. I didn't think he could win, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I didn't even want to vote for him in the beginning. I had others in mind, several ahead of him. But in the end, it became apparent that the Lord was doing something that was higher and and different, than our thinking. What I'm asking you is, could it be that everything is stacked against him this time? We need to work, we need to pray, and we need to see what God is going to do. We're going to be talking about this more in the days to come, so stay tuned. And thanks for being with us today, and thank you for your support. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. We need your support. Thank you for being with us. I'll see you right here tomorrow.